Hi, this is Bobby Kamari, and I want to thank you for listening to season two of the Living in Light podcast, where the whole season is going to be dedicated to the fabulous topic of sacred sexuality. I hope it blesses your socks off. My heart is to equip parents and equip those that are in places of leadership and those that are mentoring and just have young people around so that we can present the truth about sexuality, the biblical blueprint for sexuality to our children so they actually understand what a beautiful gift they have and what they've been wired for and who they are so that when they come across counterfeits, which they will, and when they come across the assault, when they come across sexual messaging and when they come across even their own hormones, that they will have an intimate knowledge and actually a respect and a value and a love for biblical sexuality and a value for their own gender and a value for their own purity that they will be able to reject every counterfeit. So that's my heart's desire and I do believe that we can do it. So I'm really excited about equipping those of us that are parents um, and and leaders in any way. Um, As I mentioned earlier on that heterosexuality or any kind of sexuality is actually not necessarily nature, but it's actually nurture. It's the way that we nurture people. It's the way that children grow up. It's the environment that they have, the influences that they have, the culture around them. That's what actually shapes your sexuality. So you could be someone who may have particular dispositions or particular traits, but depending on the environment that you actually grow up in, that's what predominantly goes on to shape your sexual journey. Before I do anything, though, I'm going to pray. Um, Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what you've already done. We thank you, God. We give you all the glory. You're so kind. You're so good. You're such a good father. You're such a good, good father. And we thank you that you, being the best father ever, that you want to bless us with good gifts. And sexuality is a good gift. And so we thank you for it. And Lord, I just pray, God, would you anoint me afresh and would you give me wisdom and that you would help me to communicate these truths and that, yeah, that just that you would be glorified and that your will will be done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as I said, because our environment is critical in actually shaping our sexual journey, it's important that we train up our children in the way that they should go. So Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, teaching him to seek God's wisdom and will for his abilities and talents. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I just want to read it from um, the Amplify that says, train up a child in the way he should go, teaching him to seek God's wisdom and will for his abilities and talents. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So when children are actually going through their formative years and when they are at their most impressionable, they need to understand about biblical sexuality. And we may not necessarily, even when we train our children, even when we teach them about biblical sexuality, who knows what's going to happen in their lives? Like we just have to trust the Lord. We have to trust that when we as parents or leaders or mentors or whatever, if we have taught our children well, then we have to trust that they will not depart from the truth. And even if they do, that they will return to the truth. But children who actually don't have any real understanding of biblical sexuality 
what chance do they actually have of navigating through their sexuality in this sexually distorted world where there's so much sexual dysfunction, they've got very little chance of actually thriving and overcoming in their sexuality unless we as parents equip them. Whatever happens in their lives is between them and the Lord, but we can pray and we can equip and we can trust that the Lord will guide them and carry them even if they end up struggling, even if they end up like I did. I became a believer when I was 12, but I backslid when I was 16. But I came back in my 20s because the seeds that were sown in me when I was 12, you know, Jesus somehow managed to capture my heart as a young teenager and I was able to go back to him. So let's make sure as parents that we do everything we can to give our children the Lord in his fullness so that even if they do end up straying, even if they do end up making mistakes, even if they do end up going on a journey, they will always know in their heart of hearts that there is a God that loves them unconditionally and no matter what, they can always come back to this God. And if our children do understand that there is a biblical blueprint for sexuality, then when they are faced with challenges, which they're going to be faced with every single day, day. Like the enemy is using and has used sexuality for decades and generations and centuries. He has used sexuality to derail people's lives. And so it's a given that sexuality is going to be used to steal from our children. Standard. Because every single day our children are somehow or another being assaulted in this area. And because it's everywhere, it's in the media, it's on Instagram, you could try your hardest to actually make sure that you are not engaged in any platforms or any, you know, sexually um, immoral avenues, whether it's TV or Instagram or other kinds of social media. You could actually militantly do that and you will still be bombarded somehow with sexual content. And so if our children don't understand that there is a way to manage your body and there's a way to manage your hormones, there's a way to actually manage your sex drive, then naturally, because they're sex sexual beings, they will at some point begin to respond to that sexual messaging. And if they don't have an understanding of what true sexuality looks like, then they will have nothing to compare it to. And that first encounter with a sexual image will become their blueprint. And so we must make sure that the first time our children hear about sex is not from our classrooms, it's not from TV, it's not from social media, but it's from the mouth of their parents. And this is why it's so important that we begin to embrace God's plan for sexuality. Because the truth of the matter is that if we think sexuality is shameful or we think that it's awkward or we think that it's something that we find too scary or intimidating to talk about, then that kind of perspective will be passed on to our children. And unless we boldly speak about sex, unless we boldly address sexuality, the chances are our children will begin to attach it to shame or, you know, guilt or something that's taboo, something that's not talked about at home. So we must make sure that we are addressing the topic of sexuality in our homes. And so how do we actually do that? So for a start, I believe that we celebrate sexuality in our own homes. This means that if you are 
parents and you as a couple are not walking in the fullness of your sexuality by that I just mean enjoying intimacy with each other and you know enjoying the covenant relationship if that's not happening then it's going to be difficult for you to role model sexuality and role model healthy intimacy to your children if you yourself aren't enjoying it and oftentimes parents will put their own intimacy to the side because the children are the most important, you know, in a family. And so nurturing them and being practical with them and dropping them here and dropping them there, that becomes the priority at times. And so parents are like, well, you know, our sexual needs for each other or our time for intimacy isn't as important as making sure our children get to school, making sure our children do this, making sure our children do that. But actually, in the long run, if parents don't have that intimacy, it will have a knock-on effect on the children. As much as you might get them, you know, give them the piano lessons and you might give them whatever that they need, but if they haven't seen intimacy role-modelled in a healthy way from the parents, then they can be great, you know, drummers, but never know how to connect with someone. And so it's really important as parents that sexual intimacy is a priority in your own home, which you role model to your children so that they know that healthy intimacy is something that's being enjoyed in the house. Now, obviously, if your children are super young, they may not understand that mum and dad know how to be sexually intimate with each other. But what they should see is mum and dad holding hands. What they should see is mum and dad flirting with each other. You know, mum and dad actually cooking together, a lot of non-sexual touch, you know, kissing. Like, this stuff should be normal. There should be eye contact in the house, you know, like children should be picked up. And this is a crucial thing, you know, in the stages of development where children are actually being nurtured, they begin to respond to intimacy probably before they're even born, you know, but if we take it from the time that they're born and they're actually in that home environment, whether they're being picked up, whether their parents are making eye contact with them, whether they're being stroked, you know, whether they're having words of love spoken over them, all of these things shape the child's capacity to be intimate. And they've done studies where they will actually have two different rooms in like orphanages and they will have one room with children that are being touched, you know, with love and caressed and eye contact and nurtured. And in another room where they're still being fed, like all of, you know, the basics are happening, but they're not receiving any real attention. And the children that actually received that nurture, they ended up living longer because the amount of just touch and the amount of intimacy that they experienced that the other group of children didn't. And they developed stronger as well. They developed healthier as well. So the way that we actually even role model intimacy from the moment that our children are actually born is very, very important. And so in these key stages, as children are developing, whether it's from birth, where they've got eye contact and being fed and picked up from their parents, then moving on to their connection with their mum, connection with their dad, you know, having that maternal connection, that paternal connection, then with their siblings, like all these are crucial stages where children's understanding of intimacy is being developed. And this is where we really need to role model healthy, holy intimacy. This is where our children, even from baby age, need to know that they are so loved and so valued. And even if you're 
your prime love language isn't physical touch, but we need physical touch. Like we actually as human beings need physical touch. So this is where your children are being touched by you in the most, you know, connected, intimate way. And this is why the enemy loves to have broken homes. This is why the enemy loves to have parents, you know, fathers that are absent, loves to have fathers who are present in the home, but not really present emotionally, loves to create scenarios where houses are places of tension and friction and anger, because we live in a broken, fragile society. So that home environment where a child is being developed in love and developed in nurture, the enemy would love to come in and sow seeds of dysfunction. Like I know part of the reason I was so promiscuous is because my dad was so distant. Like he had an alcohol problem, he could be very, very sweet at certain times if he was a bit tipsy. But in general, we just trod around eggshells with him. Like he never, ever gave me a word of affirmation ever in all the years that I lived at home. And actually studies show that girls who grow up without that fatherly attention and value and affirmation are more likely to look for it in all the wrong places. And so that's a ploy of the enemy to actually starve us from affection in our own homes. And we, as believers, we must come on the offensive. We can't wait for things to happen. We can't wait for our children, you know, to go to school and hear about sex and then tell you that, oh, mum, today I heard that, you know, we're allowed to do this. And then you can't, you know, come on the defensive and be like, oh, I'm going to go and see your head teacher. No, you actually, we have to be on the offensive. We have to be actually teaching our children the truth, making sure that they know about the image-bearing identity, making sure that they know that they are loved. We don't wait for dysfunction. We don't wait for the enemy to attack and then we try and protect our children. We have to come in the opposite spirit every day and actually tell our children how loved they are, tell our children how valued they are, tell them that they're image-bearers of Christ. And this is so crucial that even when our children are young, that they understand that they are made in the image of God. If at the age of four, they are being told that it's okay and that actually it's completely normal to have two mums, completely normal to have two dads. If at the age of four, they are being told how to masturbate, then clearly we have to get in there before that age. Clearly we have to make sure our children understand that you have been made in the image of God, a God that loves you and that a God that has actually created sex to be enjoyed within the covenant of marriage. And there are books which help you to teach children as young as three or four about anatomy, about sexuality, but from a biblical perspective. And I truly believe that in this day and age, you cannot even wait until they're a bit older to understand before you begin to actually make sexuality a fundamental part of their understanding. And so even with quite basic, you know, tools, it's a conversation that we need to start quite young. And I think the key thing to that is that they need to see it role modelled in their own family. And it might not be possible because you might have a broken home or you might have a single family where actually there are no male figures around. Or you may have a father who's raising his children and there are no women figures around. But this is why the church has to rise up because we must collectively raise our children. Like if you are part of a family and you know someone in your community doesn't have a male role model, become that male role model. If you know that there are single parent families 
and they are for whatever reason going without that nurture and going without that constant affirmation of family become that affirmation of family like we cannot expect families in this broken fragile world to just fend for themselves like we have to come into that brokenness Christ within us the hope of glory and actually work together to raise our children so they understand what intimacy and they understand what family is about even if in the natural they don't have a mother and a father around and to teach our children about biblical sexuality to teach our children like my nephews they're not really even believers yet but every single time we have a conversation about sex and their parents they're not married you know and it's quite tricky because how do I say to them that actually boys you know your parents are not married but you know you you guys were born and I don't know how to explain that All I know to say is that sex is a gift from God. And as a believer, boys, I believe that sex is holy and that you have it when mum and dad are married and only when they are married. And it's a gift. And so I'm constantly telling them that. And when, when they come running from the playground and they say the bad word, which in their mind is the word sex, and then I will say, no, let's talk about it. Let's actually talk about it. Like, what do you think sex is? And I will instigate a conversation about sex with them. Because I want them to know that they can come any time to me and talk about it. I want them to know that it's not a shameful subject. I want them to know that God has a beautiful plan for sex. And I also want them to know that things like pornography, that they weren't created for pornography. I want them to understand that boys and girls are made in the image of God. And that if you ever saw a pornographic image, you have to know that what someone will try and show you is someone who's actually an image bearer of Christ. Like they've been made in the image of God. And to look at that pornographic image would be disrespectful towards someone who's been created in God's image. So these are the conversations that we're having. And this is what our children need to understand. Biblical sexuality was created to be enjoyed as a blueprint that God has written in his word for all of us to actually embrace. And we slowly begin to unpack that for them. We also help them at a very young age to embrace their gender. Like they, for a young boy and a young girl, they need to understand what it means to be feminine, what it means to be masculine. And they may not necessarily fit into that box, if you like, at a young age. Like you might have a tomboy, you might have a boy who actually really likes being arty and crafts based. Totally fine. That doesn't matter. But we have to teach our children to celebrate their gender. We have to teach our children from a young age that your gender is so connected to the purpose that you have on earth. And it doesn't mean that you're going to do this or it doesn't mean that you're going to do that. But love your gender. Like as a boy, you know, you are strong. And that doesn't necessarily mean physically, but strong in spirit. It means that you are a protector. It means that you are a lover, that you are a nurturer, that you take the initiative, that you are a leader, that you can afford to be vulnerable. You can afford to open your heart. Like these are the attributes that we teach our children from a young age. Embrace them. It's part of the way that God has made you because you're reflecting the attributes of God, even as a young child, teaching them to boldly reflect the attributes of God. 
with our girls from a young age, teaching them that you are beautiful. You don't have to change for anyone. No matter what you see in the magazines, no matter what you see on TV, no matter what you see in your school playground, you are loved and accepted just as you are. And if someone teaching them that if someone comes to you and wants to touch you, no, because your body is holy and it's sacred and you were created for love. You weren't created just for anyone to touch you. You have been created for love and you honour your own body and you honour other people's bodies so you don't try and touch other people's. But at the same time, I believe we need to teach our young children to celebrate each other. You know, so as a boy, that a boy would be celebrating a girl, you know, and a girl would be celebrating a boy. And I think we have forever lived in a culture where there's this separation between boys and girls. And there's so much mystery, and mystery is beautiful. But when mystery becomes taboo, and when mystery becomes so exotic, because it's not talked about, and it's, and it's something where boys and girls are almost alien to each other, then what ends up happening, this mystery actually leads to a place of sexual angst, because what's exotic becomes erotic and leads to a place of frustration. Because if boys are not validating girls and girls are not validating boys, and we're not actually celebrating one another as children. So I can look at a, if I'm a young boy, I can look at a young girl and say, you are beautiful. You are blessed. Like everything about you is glorious. You reflect God in the most amazing way. I love the way you draw. I love the way you dance. I love the way you lead. Like if our children are having these conversations with each other at a young age, then when they grow up, they will value and honour one another's gender. It won't be so taboo that, oh, you're a girl, or you're a boy, you know, like, it won't be like that because we're raising our children to actually celebrate each other and celebrate gender. And actually for a young girl that, you know, you look at your brothers or you look at boys with a re respect and an admiration. You know, they are the sons of God and we value them. And actually we want them to pursue after God and we want them to be everything that God has created them to be. And we want them to walk in honour and in valour and we want them to walk in dignity where there's a mutual celebration and edification of the genders when you're a child. Then when you grow up, it's not awkward complimenting a woman. It's not awkward complimenting a boy, you're not, you're not made to feel shameful. You don't feel as if, oh my gosh, am I flirting with them? Because you've grown up with this culture of actually edifying one another, culture of seeing God's beauty, culture of seeing the male and female as image bearers of Christ. And when we grow like this, then actually we demystify some of the taboo associated with the opposite sex. And I believe that if that is in place, when children are actually growing up, they are less likely to resort to porn or masturbation because there's a freedom there. Like it's not so mysterious and taboo anymore. They can have conversations with the opposite sex. They, they can have conversations with males and females in such a healthy, holy way that they still value sex and they still value the mystery of sex, but there's such a celebration of one another's genders and such a celebration and a value of image bearing masculinity and femininity that there's such a respect and an honor there that actually shifts culture, you know, and we begin to do that in our living rooms as parents. And I think also what's um, crucial is actually fostering heterosexuality.
because before, you know, gay marriage and homosexuality became so prominent in our culture and before it became illegal, most families and most environments knew that homosexuality or homosexual marriages are, are not legal. But now that it has become legal, now heterosexuality and homosexuality in the eyes of society are deemed equal. This is why in schools they now teach you that yes, you might have a different home set up, you might have two dads, or you might have two mums, or you might have even more than that, like who knows? But we have to raise our children with an understanding of what covenant marriage looks like between a man and a woman exclusively. Because if we don't do that, what will end up happening is homosexuality will be just as much a viable option for our children as heterosexuality. Because they haven't been taught any different, because they haven't had any distinction made. And when the voices in society constantly tell you that they are equal, then unless our children hear it from us in love, our children will also think that they are equal. Why would they not unless they understand the truth? And so not only are we fostering holy intimacy, but we are also fostering heterosexual orientation in our houses as well. And that means having open conversations with your children, even at a young age, asking your children about some of the stuff that they are seeing at school. Ask your children about some of the lives that their friends are leading. Like, what are the family environments like for the friends that your children have at school or some of the groups that they go to? What do your children think of that? Like, unpack that conversation. It doesn't mean that your family is so set apart that you, you know, like you're, you have no knowledge of what's going on. Like, we actually want our children to be soul and light. We want our children to reflect a heavenly culture. And so we want to have these conversations with our children with, hey, you know, so-and-so in your class, you know, has got two mums. How do you feel about that? But not because you're trying to judge, but helping them to understand that there are so many broken families. Like you could have two Christians, a man and a woman together with sheer brokenness in their home. But what do our children think of brokenness in the family? How do they compassionately love every single family whilst at the same time upholding a biblical view of what God's ideal for a family network might look like? So having these conversations, because if we don't, then they will end up taking things in, absorbing things, making their own judgments, and then making decisions based on those judgments because we are not having those conversations in the house. I do want to talk about these um, critical stages. So, like I said, we need to be on the offensive. We cannot wait for things to go wrong and then try and deal with the issues. Depending on whatever age your kids are, we have to be aware that there are stages in our development where our sexual character is being formed. So initially, it's good maternal nurture from the early stages through to the first few years. So that's like nursing, feeding, loving, touching, close eye contact, um, physical needs being met. And this develops the ability of the child to experience and show intimacy to their parents and for the parents to show intimacy to the children. And then there's identification with an imitation of the parent of the same sex. So this is where, like for example, Noelle's little girl River, this is where River's gonna wanna copy her mum all the time. 
you know, because she identifies with the same sex in her family. And sometimes if you are growing up and you don't have the same sex to identify with, then that can lead to a lack of connection with that sex. And if you have issues in your family, even as a young age with your parent that's the same sex as you, then you can then develop issues in that area as well. So there's lots of things that can happen and we have to be aware that there are all these different stages that we just have to pray into. Pray into, you know, like, Lord, show me. My child is like now two to three years old and is stepping into this new place where he or she is, you know, connecting with siblings in a new way. Show them your heart for their siblings. Show them how to look at their siblings through the lens of love, through the lens of image bearing. Show them how to have an understanding of honour and an understanding of love. Like, we need to be praying through all of these different stages. And then it says acceptance by an identification with same-sex peer groups, including older brothers and sisters. When I actually started researching for the book quite a while ago, I discovered that if a father is not in the home, it has a detrimental effect on the children, particularly the girls. And so as much as at the very early stages, a mother is the one that's like creating the bond, but as time goes on, a father's presence and affirmation is crucial. But then I found that actually after that, siblings, their input is even more important than what parents were inputting during the earlier stages. And actually as siblings, we have got the capacity to really shape the way that we see one another and the way that we address one another's gender. Like a young, like when I think again of River, like, wow, she's got three older brothers. She's going to grow up the most valued image-bearing princess ever because her three brothers know the Lord and they know how to value this young girl and they know how to speak life, purity and holiness and love and nurture over her. But she knows how to speak honour and dignity over them. As she grows up, she's able to speak words of strength over them. And so siblings have such a crucial role in actually shaping the way that they begin to see the opposite sex. And then it goes on to say the day in and out treatment of boys and girls, the biological hormonal rush of puberty, falling in love, like all these are crucial stages. And we can't, as parents, just hope that our kids are not going to come home and say, oh, mum, this happened at school today. Like, like I said, we need to be on the offensive. What is happening at school today? You know, or in your friendship circles, how are you doing, like, with the friendship dynamics? Like, are there any situations where things are uncomfortable? Like, how do you feel about the attention that you've started getting? Like, let's not wait for them to actually come to us with a problem. Let's actually set the scene at all these different stages so they are confident and they are celebrating their sexuality from a place of holiness where our children also understand what to do with their sex drive. Because if we don't have these conversations with our children, what's going to end up happening is the minute they get exposed to anything remotely sexual, you know, their hormones begin to start 
playing up. And it's natural. It's absolutely natural. It's God-given. But if those conversations about sexuality have not happened, and if they don't understand that their sex drive is a gift from God, and that it can be mastered, and it can be laid down at the altar, and that they have the grace and guidelines to actually keep giving it to God and not to succumb to it, and when they have sexual cues, that they will understand that their first response to that sexual cue, because the way that it works is when you get a sexual cue, depending on you, how you first respond to that cue is what programs your brain on how you will then continuously respond to that sexual cue. And if you have children that you are raising with a biblical understanding of hormones and how they are a gift from God and how everyone is an image bearer of Christ, then by God's grace, when they are exposed to an image that may be pornographic or when they're exposed to sexual cues, their brains would have already have understood that holiness is the pathway that they want to take. Their brains would have already have understood that a member of the opposite sex is an image bearer of Christ. That these are, by God's grace, the mental pathways that will already be established in our children's minds. So when they are exposed to something that doesn't line up with biblical sexuality and doesn't line up with their value, then they would be able to reject that sexual cue and say, that's not my portion. And as a result of it, their brain, because what happens is that if you have a sexual cue and you reject it, your brain forgets about it. So what we want to do is we want to nurture our children so that they know how to respond to sexual cues, especially in this society where sexual cues are coming every single day. And what that then means, you can't just have a conversation about sex once It's that we're actually trying to train up our children in the way that they should go, trying to renew their mind so that their brain, which if they're walking in the flesh, their brain will be driven by their fleshly desires. If they are walking in the spirit, then their brain will be mastered by the spirit. So we want our children to understand that they walk by the Spirit and not in the flesh. We want our children to grow in the Spirit. We want our children to love worship, to love the Word. We want them to grow in the Spirit so that when their flesh rises up, the flesh doesn't drive them, doesn't drive their mental pathways, doesn't drive their brain, doesn't drive their hormones, but actually they're being led by the Spirit. So providing by God's grace, we are able to nurture our children and we are able to teach them about biblical sexuality. Then we develop healthy, holy heterosexuality in our children. Now, psychologists who, you know, and it was actually a Christian psychologist that I studied for this. He then said that dysfunction comes in when these stages are interrupted, So the enemy will try and come in and interrupt at these different stages and try and violate a normal, healthy sexual journey. And so we must be praying against that. We must be praying for our children's sexuality. We must be praying for their sexual orientation. We must be praying that they'll make divinely directed decisions when it comes to their sexuality so that we are coming against any attacks that the enemy would have. But what will then happen when it comes to... um, situations where homosexuality might come in or situations like, for example, with me, what happened with me, I ended up being promiscuous because I was abused, you know? So these are interruptions to your normal sexual development. And again, these are things that we need to be praying against. 
And going back to like role modeling intimacy in a positive way and really making sexuality something that's not shameful. So I always find like the Jewish tradition really amazing. The fact that when husband and wife consummate their marriage for the first time and the blood is shed, you know, because the hymen breaks and the blood is on the sheet, like that sheet is shown to the entire community, including children. Like in the Jewish tradition, children know what happens in the marital bed. Children know that sex is a holy thing and that it's something that the whole community is not ashamed about. Like imagine raising children where they actually understand what happens in the marital bed, but they understand it's a holy thing and a celebratory thing. So that is definitely something that I find really, really inspiring. And if our children are raised in this way, then when they go through puberty, then they're less likely to succumb to their hormones. They're less likely to be tempted and to um, give in to peer pressure. And also, I think it's crucial that we must raise our children with an understanding of purpose. Because I know young teenagers who actually don't get involved in sexual dysfunction. They don't do what their friends are doing. They don't party hard. They don't do any of that stuff because they understand about purpose, because they are living on fire for God. And they recognize that their lives are something that are bigger than themselves. They recognize that God has a plan for their lives. And so it prevents them from getting caught up in anything actually that would rob them from that purpose. So please don't think, like in my experience, I've seen, even as a youth leader in my church, like, it's never early enough to teach your children about purpose. And I, forgive me, your parents, like, I'm sure you're doing that all the time. But purpose is a great, like, preserver against sexual dysfunction. It's a great preserver against distraction because a young person living in purpose is far likely to reject temptation and the toys and trappings of the world because they know that their purpose is eternal and is not just about temporary existence. It's not just about being accepted in that group. It's just not about looking pretty or having sex or, you know, being whoever the people around them want them to be. So teaching children about purpose is also crucial. And also, um, I would suggest like being aware of what your children are watching, what they are listening to, who they're following on Instagram, like all these things. You have to be social media savvy, like you have to know how to check the accounts that your children are, you know, logging into, like all of this, all of this is necessary. You have to know who your children's role models are. You also have to know who your children are watching. Go through the books that your children are reading, but explain to them why. You know, as you give them this beautiful blueprint of sexuality, as you help them to understand why it's worth saving, why it's worth preserving, why it's worth rejecting temporary, you know, um, propositions for, while you're doing all of that, give them accountability. You know, tell them that, babes, you know, you're allowed to log on to any Instagram account you want, or you're allowed to watch whatever you want, but I have to have access to it. You know, so you're building trust, but that they also understand that there is an accountability there. Find out what your children are actually watching on TV. Like, I found out that the quickest growing area of genres of books is child porn, like teenage porn. So you could have, like, your child could get hold of a book in school or through friends that you have no idea about. 
when I was a child, you know, I told you I was reading adult books, but there was this one book I remember reading and I thought it was so childish compared to the adult books that I was reading. But I just remember I really enjoyed the book. So a few years ago, I remember thinking about the book and thinking, oh, maybe I should get a book for my niece, which is from the same author. So then I ordered it for her. And just before I gave it to her, I decided to read it. And I was so thankful that I did because the themes in that book, like they were so anti-God. And if I hadn't have thought, you know, if I'd gone based on like my assumptions that, oh no, this book was okay, I would have actually allowed seeds to be sown in my niece's heart that could have led to dysfunction. So don't just be okay with the content that your children are reading. Don't just assume that it's going to be fine and that they'll be able to pick and choose for themselves. Like actually take an active role in monitoring what your children are engaging with. But that's not like monitoring as in a set of rules. You know, it's monitoring in love, like always in love, that they would know that you're not just there like pointing a finger, you can't do this and you can't do that. But actually from a place of accountability and a place of alignment with them and a place of supporting them, that accountability is not like a set of rules, but it's a place of love and trust and nurture that you engage in. And if all of this is in place, then, like I said, when our children actually become older, they are likely to reject the kind of lifestyles or the choices that maybe their friends might be making. And particularly when it comes in the way that we treat the opposite sex, particularly in the way that we treat our sexuality, and also um, really learning. Like, this is so, so key for me because... The whole reason that the world is able to speak to our children is because sexual messaging is going to speak to them because they're sexual beings. And ultimately, they're going to pick up on sexual messaging. And the world is tapping into an area that the church hasn't tapped into yet. And so our children oftentimes are responding because we are sexual beings and we desire to be desired. You know, desiring to be desired is not a wrong thing. For us to be desired is actually a God-given desire. Like, we want to know that we're desirable. And when the media tells us that we're desirable because we're showing off our breasts, or we're desirable because we're super thin, or we're desirable because we look a certain way, or we act a certain way, or we have sex with someone, media is telling us that we're desirable because of all of those things. And so our understanding of what desirability is begins to be dictated by the media and by the world because the world is actually connecting with sexual messaging that our body and our psyche is responding to. But actually, the reason that we are desirable is because Jesus thought that we were so incredible that he gave his life for us. That's what makes us desirable, the fact that we're image bearers of Christ. And this is what we need to build on. And this is what our children need to know, that you are desirable not because you're pretty, you're desirable not because you're a great dancer, not because you're the fastest running boy, you know, in the club, you are desirable because you are an image bearer of Christ. That's where your desire comes in.
And when this culture of desire is established in the home, and when it's established in our communities, then we get to actually change culture because we become a company of people that actually are affirming one another that you are desirable, that you are worthy, that you are beautiful. And imagine creating that kind of a culture around us where you know you're desired and so you don't look to elicit ways to feed that desirability. Our children don't look to porn or masturbation to feel like they are wanted because they know that they are desirable because they're image bearers of Christ. And they are not only aware that they are desirable, but they are speaking desire over one another. And so what ends up happening by God's grace, this is what I see happening, is a whole generation who actually begin to impact culture because they understand their worth and their desire comes from being image bearers. And they speak that desire over one another and they speak that desire over this generation. And that no longer are we then looking at each other in lust, no longer are we objectifying one another, but we see each and every person, whether they're siblings, whether they're friends, whether they're partners, husbands, wives, we see the desirability in one another because we're all image bearers of Christ. And if we have that understanding, then navigating through sexuality as a single becomes much easier to navigate through because you don't need a partner to validate you. You don't need what the world tells you that, oh, you know, if you if you were desirable, you would have a boyfriend. If you were desirable, you would have a girlfriend. If you were desirable, you would look this other way. We don't need any of that because we recognize and we've grown up in the culture and our parents have raised us and our leaders have told us and it's now cemented in our psyche that we are desirable because we were chosen by God. And so we're not looking for that affirmation. We're not going to the first person that shows us attention. We're not trying to find that affirmation in any other place, but we already know it, that Jesus makes us desirable because we're made in his image. So I'm going to ask that if it's okay with you two, Diana and Ryan, just to come up because they truly inspire me when it comes to the way that they raise their children and just the way that they have role-modeled intimacy in their family home has just been so precious. And we all know their children, you know, like their children are a prime example of just incredible fruit when you're role-modeling intimacy in such a powerful way. So just just a short amount of time could both of you share and I'm sure many of you are already doing this everyone could already be doing this but let's be encouraged and celebrate how this particular couple have raised and developed the sexual journey or identity of their own children um, all of our children are perfect um, because they're all robots. No, um, the, the truth of the matter is, is we're raising humans. Yeah. And we also are humans. And without Jesus, none of this matters. And something the Lord told me a few years ago, there was so much fear on me to get it right. So much fear. And, and I put that fear on my kids. And I was very harsh and very religious towards them because I wanted them to be perfect Christians. And the Lord tapped me and said... Um, why are you trying to raise your kids without a need for a savior? Mm, and I was like, what, what? And he said, you, they're going to need a savior just as much as you do. And so by trying to parent them from fear means you have no faith in who I am and who I'm going to be for them. So I just want to say to 
parents of adult children, God is still their God. Yeah, it's good. Just as he is ours. And as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. As for our household, we will serve the Lord. Prayer never stops being the most important thing. Because no matter what our failures are, no matter what our flaws, our fears, our places of healing that we still need, that we're still in process of, Mm -hmm. Jesus is the only one who is complete and whole, and he knows their design. He knows their destiny. He's constantly breathing and speaking over them. So we just get to pray right now as their adults. We get to pray and say, Lord, what's on your heart? Because we have all this, you know, we have all these issues where we think, oh, if this were okay, oh, if this would just get fixed, oh, if they would just trust God. And a lot of times we just have to bring that to him and then give it and then let it go and say, okay, what's heaven saying over my kids? Mm. How do I get out of the fear place and into the faith place and just agree? Because the kingdom moves by agreement. And so when we come into agreement with Holy Spirit, it's the most powerful thing we can be doing for our kids once they're older. I mean, it's really powerful when they're younger too, and we may get it and we may not, but um, anything you want to add? Just on a practical level, just that um, having dinner with your family just makes a really, just the time where everybody stops all the craziness and sits down and is forced to be at one place, one time, at the same time, and eat some food and just briefly catch up on their your day or what's going on. And if there's something going on or something coming up, just that touching base time. I My wife did a good job always doing that. Not every day, but as, as often as she could, mm-hmm. make, forcing everybody. Because otherwise, it doesn't come naturally. Everybody just wants to do this or watch this or watch that and on their things. So you really have to yeah. – it, it doesn't come natural, but it really is healthy as far as building the communication and giving opportunity for those conversations about – sexuality or mm-hmm. or whatever's coming up or thing just general life and i think that made a big difference in our family as far as just helping our kids stay connected to us and to each other the, 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 the siblings so. yeah amazing. And, um no conversation was off limits mm. but honor was always required yes yeah, good um so it was always, honor was always, all, my nieces and nephews, they come over. You do not get to diss your parents in front of me. You do, if, if you have an issue, we can talk about it, but you cannot be dishonorable towards your sibs, towards one another. That was kind of a hard line we put. You know, some of your friends will come and go when you're a kid, but you always have your brothers and sisters with you. So that's your first and foremost friendship to develop this, encourage that and not let that be like you had dissed or disregarded. Yeah. And lastly, um, we uh, we made a habit of blessing, especially like on uh, birthdays. Yeah. Um, you get the special red plate, and everybody who's been invited, even if they're not part of our immediate family, we go around the table, and everyone gives a blessing. They either say something positive or admirable they see about that person, or they give a blessing about that person. Ben, Ben, what can we say about Ben? That's usually how all of Sam's blessings start. Um, but and and there were there was a couple of years when they were in their teenage years where it was really hard to keep them focused, and it was really hard to keep them honoring, and it would devolve into you know joke after joke after joke but now that they're a little older we've come back and 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 they value it and the blessings are there because we laid the foundation even when they weren't getting it so don't get discouraged like if you're in it and they're not responding do it anyway and just and then hand it to the lord and trust him amen no cell phones at the table
<laughs> oh, no, that's so good. Yeah. Yes, guys, just stay there, please. Um, and I do just want to... Um, Ryan, will you stay there? Uh, I do just want to really encourage you once again, I said this at the beginning of this session, is that even if your children are walking in what is contrary to what you know the Lord has for them, like trust the Lord. Like the same way he stewarded your life, he will steward their life as well. And just trust that he, and I know you guys know this, but let me just encourage you afresh that the Lord will bring them back. The Lord will make crooked paths straight. He will redeem. He will have his inheritance in their lives. But as parents in the 21st century, we cannot be silent about intimacy and sexuality. And if we are, we are doing not just a disservice to the gift of sexuality, but we are actually throwing our kids in front of a bus, you know, because dysfunctional sexuality is such a huge tool that the enemy has used again and again to annihilate destinies and callings and actually lead so many people to death in one way or another. And we must rise up as parents. This is not a topic we can ignore. It's not a topic that we can be intimidated by. Like this is a topic that will set this generation free. It will set your own children free. So just be encouraged that he's using you for something quite glorious. Um, I would love for Diana and Ryan to pray. Um, like I, I really, yeah, I just feel that um, like he chose you guys. He chose you guys. Like you are exactly the very parent that he chose for these children. He didn't make a mistake. And even though sometimes you might think that, Lord, I don't know how to handle this. And am I even equipped? Am I, am I doing this right? He chose you. He chose you. Not only did he choose your children for you, but he chose you for your children. And he sees the struggle and he sees the victories. And oh my gosh, is he delighted in you. And I believe that he's so delighted that you came here today because you could have deemed this something that doesn't really concern you or you're not ready for, you've got no place for. And I feel that by partnering with the Lord in this, like, you have so valued his heart and he will value your heart and what's important to you and what's important to your children. Oh, Lord, everything Bobby just said is so true. You've handpicked us for these children, knowing our broken places as individuals, knowing our wounded places, Father, um, and, and the brokenness from which we've come, and the brokenness in our own relationships, God, and yet you still chose to give these children to us at this time. Because, Father, you have faith in Christ in us, who is the hope of glory. And because you knew that through us as their parents, you would have access to our children. Because the blood of Jesus Christ runs in our veins, and therefore it runs in theirs. And I thank you that your supernatural ability to parent our children despite our weakness is far greater 
than any regret we have, any shame we've carried, any failure we bear, where we feel we have missed the mark in being a good parent. Forget perfect, even just a good parent, Lord. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming in right now and beginning to minister to each individual as we go to lay hands on them. Come, Holy Spirit, begin to breathe life, breathe encouragement, breathe hope, remove shame, cast off regret, and show each one of us that you have swallowed all of this up in the cross. You have swallowed up every failure we have ever had towards any of our children. And that, Lord, you will give us, you are partnering with us right now from this moment forward to go forward in faith, to go forward in hope, to go forward in truth, that you are a redeemer and that you are redeeming the past and you are bringing them into their glorious future as we continue to pray with heaven for heaven's plans. So help each one of us now to pick up those stones of regret, those stones of shame, those stones of fear, those stones of failure, the stones of hopelessness where we see something we thought we'd never see and we thought there's no way. But God, you are the way. And you can make a way miraculously in each and every situation. So come now, Holy Spirit. We bring you these stones. And we come to make an exchange with you, Holy Spirit. We come to make an exchange with you for your righteousness for our failure. We come to make an exchange with you for your completion for our inadequacy. We come to you for your glory in our humanity and the humanity of our children. Because you are enough. You have saved us. You will save them. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for the mind of Christ as parents today. That today is a new day. We turn the page and we come into parenting with joyful anticipation of all that heaven has for our children. Renew the dreams you have for our kids. Renew the plans and the future you have for each one that we will pray into that, into their futures, not in fear of their present or their past or our own. But we will lay hold of the promise of heaven over our kids and that is what we will bring before the throne with rejoicing and with worship, with thanksgiving that you are the author, you are the finisher of each one of their lives. It is not up to us, it is up to you, Lord God. We just get to steward and partner with you. So let us come out of fear into perfect love. Let us come out of despair and, and hopelessness into faith and hope right now in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining me for today's show. All related social media handles and links can be found in the notes section. If you did enjoy today's episode, then please do feel free to share it and do subscribe to the podcast if you want to know when a new episode is heading your way. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do that via Instagram or Facebook, or you can head over to livinginlight.co.uk. I cannot wait to be with you guys again, and thank you so much for listening to the Living in Light podcast. Because you're beautiful, so